other thing that they raised to me was a seminar that over 100 cadets attended titled Understanding Whiteness and White Rage, taught by a woman who described the Republican Party platform as a platform of white supremacy. This is going on at West Point as we speak to our future military leaders. And sir, I would encourage you, I would demand that you get to the bottom of what is going on. But I do think it's important, actually, uh, for those of us in uniform to be open-minded and be widely read. And the United States Military Academy is a university. Uh, and it is important that we train and we understand. Uh, and I, I want to understand white rage. And I'm white. And I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America? What caused that? I want to find that out. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I do want to analyze it. It's important that we understand that, because our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and Guardians, they come from the American people. So it is important that the leaders, now and in the future, do understand it. I've read Mao Zedong. I've read, I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. That doesn't make me a communist. So what is wrong with understanding, having some situational understanding about the country for which we are here to defend? And I personally find it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers of being, quote, woke or something else because we're studying some theories that are out there. That was started at Harvard Law School years ago, and it proposed that there were laws in the United States, antebellum laws prior to the Civil War, that led to uh, a power differential with African Americans that were three-quarters of a human being when this country was formed. And then we had a civil war and emancipation proclamation to change it. And we brought it up to the Civil Rights Act in 1964. It took another 100 years to change that. So look it, I do want to know. And our best Americans do speak truth to power, folks, but nobody wants to hear us. Welcome back to Whistleblower Wednesday here at the Rob Manus Show on the Red Voice Media Network, where we dare to bring you the facts and the truth. And uh, welcome to our ex-spacious uh, simulcast live audience. Uh, we've got Kat and Shell over there co-hosting together uh, right now, and we appreciate every one of you folks. That's right. Our best Americans are speaking truth to power and more than willing to do that. I do it every day. We even have tools today such as X, the platform formerly known as Twitter, to speak directly to the powerful. Those in positions of power are either unwilling or intentionally ignoring our warnings. Former chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Milley, displays the arrogance of a senior official with power that leads to government downfalls. He rants about being offended for being called on the carpet by our elected representatives because West Point is using Marxist indoctrination to infect the minds of our future Army officers, an existential threat to our republic. He uses the false narrative of insurrection about January 6th to justify this Marxist indoctrination and proves he is just another useful idiot of the Marxist infiltrators. He ignores our warnings as he defends policies that he knows are hurting our armed forces and the nation that we all hold dear. Well, my guest today is one of our best Americans, and uh, he is speaking out. He's the author of 
a great new book. Dr. John Hughes, Personal History and Family Heritage is awe-inspiring, fascinating, exciting, and humbling to behold is what a good friend of mine, uh, Brent Ramsey, wrote as a review of his book. His story is almost uh, also most troubling for any of us who value freedom and the traditional values that made this country great. Number one in his class at West Point, he's an infantryman, a ranger, airborne I might add, and a combat zone veteran, Hughes then went to medical school and became a doctor and went straight back into combat as an emergency room doc and flight surgeon in the Army. Dr. Hughes, welcome to the Rob Manus Show, sir. And thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me on today. Hey, uh, we appreciate your time and congratulations on the book. Uh, I, it's fascinating read. You have a great family history. Your heritage is uh, similar to my dad's family as we go all the way back to pre-Revolutionary War, military service, and during the Revolutionary War, and all the way up to today. Uh, with uh, I have sons that have been deployed as recently as just a year ago over to the desert. So we appreciate your service and your family's long history of service to the country. Thank you, Robin. You too. Well, hey, man. Uh, First of all, let's talk about these people in power. You recognized, which led to the book, that uh, you know our strategic objectives, we're unable to meet them and really haven't put the right capability and put political will together uh, in order to win in places like Afghanistan after all the blood and treasure uh, that we expended on it. How did you come to that realization and talk about uh, how you put that out in the book? Well, the realization was obvious when I deployed Rob over there. Um, the whole question was what, what and when I wanted to do something actually about it. Um, I began to see a few things in Iraq initially, as I talked about in the book initially, where I was there at the, um, at the end of 05 and I was there through the majority of 06. And as you know, in um, early 2006, they had the, the um, Samara Temple bombing, and that was that was a very um, crucial moment in the country because it's where the um, curtain was drawn, and you could see the blatant um, sectarian violence going on um, between the two Islamic groups over there. The whole time I was there, we were told that we were not allowed to speak this term at all. It was a um, uh, forbidden. But I have a I have basically a mantra in emergency medicine where you can't hide the bodies. Um, and I was seeing the bodies of both of the Islamic groups um, coming into my aid station almost every single day. And then um, when, I, when I went over to Afghanistan, I was seeing much more of the same. And as a student of history myself, um, I'm always careful as, as, as an armchair quarterback and you know, you know, looking back and seeing at what point was this war an unwinnable war. So when wars are initiated, Obviously, politicians initiate it, generals execute it. And for the first year or two, you could argue um, in both wars, um, perhaps it was winnable that, that they just had to figure out who the enemy was and the right tactics and the strategy to actually use for it. Um, but by the time I got to Afghanistan, it was 2007, 8, and 9, and we, and we were already six years into the war at, yeah. at, that, at that point. And even when I was there, it was apparent that Every time I went back, we were going to the same battlefields, to the same provinces, fighting the same enemy. Um, the enemy counts were the same body counts. I was mm -hmm. actually astounded at the very first meeting I went to where I saw body counts on the board. And it just was a huge 
um, flashback to a lot of the critiques of the Vietnam War. Yeah, somebody that came of age uh, at the end of the Vietnam War, you know, uh, once our family came back from North Africa, my dad's last assignment uh, in the early 70s, I actually witnessed, you know, as a sixth and seventh grader, uh, these body count numbers and those kind of things on CBS News and all of that stuff. And to see that happen in the modern American armed forces and go back to that stupid metric, uh, which means absolutely nothing, actually means you're losing, uh, is just, it's, it's heartbreaking, really. It really is heartbreaking. You know, uh, we almost overlapped. My last combat deployment was as a squadron commander it ended in mid-2005, and during my personal outbrief with the senior Air Force commander in charge of the Air Force Combat Forces, you know, I told him, I said, you know, uh, we should have left a year ago after we were finished, so that would have been in 2004, after we were finished removing the Taliban from the government and turn this country back over to their people, because what we're about to do now, we were just embarking on this, you know, build a democracy uh, losing mission. Uh, in mid-2005 is just the absolute wrong thing to do. You know, these folks are never going to buy it. And they didn't. And that's what we saw in the end. Uh, they didn't buy it, and the Taliban has taken back over again. It's a, a very unfortunate. And the most disheartening thing, Rob, was um, I was there in um, 7, 8, 9 in the southwestern quadrant of the country. I was blessed to work with them. Special Forces, fantastic guys. I was humbled to be in their presence. However, what was most disturbing to me was my final tour over there. Um, in 2013, I was working at a, at a stateside ER, and of course, we're all tasked in our rotations to go back over again. I was offered mm -hmm. the Philippines or, or to Camp Bastion. Camp Bastion is in the middle of the Helmand, which is the bloodiest place in Afghanistan. So of course, I knew yeah. that country over there. Um, so I deployed with the British Army and once again, going to the same intel briefing, seeing the same casualties in the same places and the same conflicts going on. And in my book, I'm very careful because it's easy to be an armchair quarterback when you're back here in the States and you're not there because you're not in the know 100% anymore, right? right? In terms of intel briefings, and I'm just the doc, right? Um, but when I'm over there and, and I made the comparisons in the book, I'm very careful um, when, when I wrote what I saw and then what the generals were saying, the ones in charge at the highest levels were saying the whole time. Right before I got there in Iraq in 05, throughout 06, and then 07 during the troops surge. For example, in Iraq, we inherited um, a battle space where, where um, two brigades were there ahead of time and things were quote unquote going well. We were downsized to one brigade, and then towards the end, we were downsized to one battalion. Um, six weeks after I left, they had two entire American divisions there. Um, that was so, so somebody was not um, giving an honest assessment of what was actually going on. And then the same thing in Afghanistan, where I picked a few districts we were in, and you hear the same stories from the generals in charge in 2007, 8, 9, 10, and then back in 13 when I'm there too. And it wasn't just the, the American Army, it was the NATO British Army as well. Yeah, that's one of the most frustrating revelations with the withdrawal debacle is uh, that the senior leadership uh, of the NATO allies, the 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 uh, the friendlies on the ground there, our allies, uh, you know, in the country, the countrymen of Afghanistan and Iraq, and our other our own generals were lying uh, this whole time, uh, and they were being advised by people like us uh, uh, that have experience on the ground 
that have the knowledge saying, you're losing. We are not going to win this. We've got to get a, you know, get an exit strategy and get the heck out of here. Uh, and they were completely ignoring it. That's why I titled this show today, you know, uh, exceptional Americans are trying to speak out and speak the truth to power. But, and we are, but quite often they don't listen. As you could tell by Millie's uh, uh, responses in that introduction there. Well, well, uh, Doc, we've got a live audience on Spaces that listens in, and we give them an opportunity to ask a question or make a comment in each segment. So let's go over to Kat and Shell and uh, see who's got a mic that wants to ask a question. Great, thank you. Colonel. Uh, we don't have anybody with a hand up, but I'll say something about, because me and you've talked about this, about um, the guy that just took over as Joint Chiefs, where we went from Millie to this other gentleman who thinks that based on what I would say is wokeism, um, that what they should make a reduction in um, the upper leadership by something, what was that, I think 10 or 15 percent, because mm -hmm. it's basically too white. Yeah. So how do how do we battle that? I mean, we're I mean, I'm an armchair quarterback for sure, but I'm sitting here looking at our military having low low enlistment because nobody wants to go in right now. Yeah. Um, how do they combat that? That's insane. That's a great segue and a great question. Let me do this ad read real quick. Stay stay right there, Doc. It's this only takes about 20 seconds. Uh, we'll get this ad read done and then we will address that question. Listen up, folks. Bidenomics is not working, the U.S. dollar is losing value, and your hard-earned savings are at risk. You can act now before it's too late with one straightforward, entirely legal tax loophole. Contact my friends at American Alternative Assets for a free wealth protection guide. Learn how to safeguard your wealth from that failing dollar in volatile markets with gold and silver IRAs. Dial 833-2-USA-GOLD. That's 833-287-2465. Or visit the website, protectfrombiden.com. Com. Well, welcome back to the Rob Manus Show. We're talking with Dr. John Hughes, who's got a new book out about his experiences, both in the Army uh, as a non-medical person, as an infantryman, and uh, as an emergency room and flight doc in the U.S. Army. And it tells us his story uh, and his journey of service to this nation, both in and out of the military. Uh, well, let's show. let me show clip two here. And this will get straight to the point about what was Kat was asking about. And she was mentioning the new chairman, which is General C.Q. Brown of my service, the U.S. Air Force. A federal lawsuit accuses West Point Military Academy of using race and ethnicity as factors in admissions. This lawsuit was filed today by the same group behind the lawsuit that resulted in the U.S. Supreme Court striking down affirmative action in college admissions. Students for fair admissions claims the U.S. Military Academy improperly uses benchmarks for how many black, Hispanic, and Asian cadets there should be in each class. The Academy says that it does not comment on ongoing litigation. Now, SSF, SFFA, uh, folks, has already won a lawsuit at the Supreme Court against uh, uh, civilian universities. Uh, they sued Harvard, and uh, I can't remember the name of the other university, but one, and that, it, that eliminated uh, racial uh, profiling on entry for the universities that are civilian, but they court explicitly said it didn't apply to the service academies, but we've discovered, Doc, that the service academies have long used racial quotas for their admissions process, 
And when you combine it with this critical race theory, critical gender and queer theory, uh, indoctrination of Marxism into our officer corps, we're facing a pretty big battle uphill to get to a place where that could be corrected, aren't we? Rob, I would agree. I was actually invited myself to West Point's annual DEI conference that they had about two months ago. Um, I went with um, um, Colonel Bill Prince, who's another West Point graduate, and we were able to see the echo chamber that was going on up there. There were about 400 folks there, everybody from Army, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, foreign countries, and NASA echoing the same thing in the chamber. But one of my big takeaways from there was, I don't think our military at the highest dumb levels actually buys into it. I think a lot of it is the weakness of our leadership, not the wokeness, but the weakness of our leadership at the highest dumb levels. And that, that was one of the things I wanted to stress in the book. And I think you can draw a straight line to a lot of our military um, failures where, I mean, to, uh, to be honest, we haven't won a major war since the end of World War II. We're in a dry spell of almost 80 years. And you have to ask yourself, why is that? There, there was a research um, on a paper that they put out about 10 years ago where they said that 70% um, of the general officers getting out of the military were working for the military-industrial complex. Um, so you have to ask yourself at a certain point, who are the generals actually trying to serve? And I, th and I think it's been beat into their head, especially with Obama's purge um, um, a couple of years ago, that the way to success in the military as a general officer is to be a team player, and to be a team player is you serve the brotherhood of the general officers, not the country anymore, and you don't serve the military that you're supposed to be serving against. One of the reasons why I wrote the book was in August of um, 21, I watched, of course, the debacle in Afghanistan like everybody else, and it was not a surprise. Um, we all knew that the Afghan army was, uh, was, a, was a puppet. Every single tour were over there, they were in, incompetent, couldn't do what they were supposed to be, to be, to be, to be doing, and then outside um, the numbers of casualties every time they were on their own. But the manner of it is, is, is what irritated me, and then I went to my West Point class reunion in November of that year. And the way West Point reunions run, um, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure the Air Force Naval Academy do the same thing. If there's any active duty personnel, they invite them up there. So we had two one-stars up there who get this. So after 20 years of a war going on over 2,400 American deaths, um, they refused to speak about it. And, and I called them on the carpet because they were saying that our military is the greatest it's ever been. I said, how can that be? We just got bested by, at best, 50,000 folks, most of them illiterate, who were wearing flip-flops over there, and they had um, rusty AK-47s over there and very inferior technology to us. How did this happen, and how can you stand up there, and why can you not even stand up for your troops? In my, in, in my book, I point out, I believe there was one, maybe two general officers who stood up and put their stars on the line and said, no more, and they called um, the whistle on what was, what was going on. And I think all the other generals watched because they were um, fired quickly. There was a two-star in about 2012 who was working in, um, um, in Kabul, and he called out the Ministry of the Interior over there, and he was promptly um, fired. And you know what happened to the lieutenant colonel afterwards in the Marine Corps, Kurt um, Schiller, I believe his name was, and you know Matthew Lohmeyer as well. Everybody yeah. who speaks up, they get crushed. And so the general officers, I think, have learned um, that the pathway to success is you keep your mouth shut. It doesn't matter what the politics are. Um, so you can you can get get, um, get your rank and a very disproportionate of them um, go and work for the military industrial complex. So I'm gonna look at Austin. As soon as he got out, he worked for Raytheon, a million and a half bucks, and he's right back in there 
And then right after Afghanistan's over, who's making massive profits in the Ukraine right now? His old company. Is it, is it a coincidence? I think not. Yeah, it's definitely not a coincidence. That's a fascinating story. Uh, now, have you been back to West Point recently, uh, John? Because I'm curious as to if you've interacted with any of the, the uh, cadets there uh, after this uh, big push for the woke indoctrination using cultural Marxist theories and those kind of things. Yeah, actually, I went back there two months ago for the, for the DEI con conference up there that I was um, I'm alluding to. And actually, I met with a cadet up there, and he also has been meeting with, with others. I, I only had a, had a chance to meet with um, one, but there's a great many um, cadets who are concerned about what's going on. The, the stuff that um, Project Veritas and, and, and others were able to uncover um, is because these um, concerned um, cadets, and there's officers up there as well, very concerned about what's going on. And they're also afraid to speak up because of what's, what's happened to some of those who have spoken up, just, just like in the regular Army. And again, I don't think that the, I don't believe for one minute that the superintendent up there is a Marxist. However, I think he's, I think he has bought into the rest of the general officer corps and that the pathway to success is you, is you keep your mouth shut and you execute what, whatever the, um, the politicians want, whether it is um, in concordance with, with our Republic and in the best interests of our country and our military or not. And if wars are lost, so be it. Um, but they at least get promoted and move on to, to, to their military industrial career jobs afterwards. And as a doctor so, who's, um, who's put um, too many troops into body bags, um, I couldn't um, stomach that. Um, hence yeah. my book. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, all of us have put, buried too many people, both in war and peace, that were dedicated to serving this country. Uh, but, but Mike, I have since you, you said that twice now, you don't think the generals are Marxist, uh, but is that really even uh, even relevant uh, if they're pushing Marxist indoctrination of the youngest officers that are going to be the premier officers in the United States Army, Air Force, Navy, Coast Guard, Merchant Marines, uh, because they're all doing it. Uh, uh, the Air Force and the West Point are the two worst from what I've seen. Uh, and the new chairman uh, is responsible for pushing it, even at the detriment to the lowest readiness ratings of the United States Air Force. We've seen in, in recent modern, not even recent, but in modern recorded history by any chief of staff. And C.Q. Brown was the chief of staff of the Air Force and presided over that. I mean, it's a big deal that we're growing an officer corps full of young Marxists, whether the generals really believe in it or not. They are pushing it. and. A lot of these kids are going to buy it. I agree. I think they're pushing it, and I'm not trying to defend them. Um, the, yeah. um, but don't get me wrong. And I'm sure there's a few right. who actually buy into it. And the, new chair, the new chairman of the Joint Chiefs has made some very disconcerting statements over the years. But I think our general officer corps, though, has become increasingly political. If you read Bob Woodward's peril, um, which, which I was able to read this, um, this past spring, you have one of the most political officers ever in the history of our country who was unabashedly um, admitted um, that he inter he, that he was interviewed for, for, um, for that book, who was trashing a um, commander-in-chief. So when you have the intersection, um, to use their own words against him, of um, mm -hmm. politics and the military, bad things are, are going to happen. Um, but again, going back, I don't think, in the parallels I made in my book, I don't think that the general officers were rooting against um, the United States. A hardcore Marxist is rooting against the, uh, the Constitution. 
I do not think that the general officers in Afghanistan um, cheered every time they buried an American so soldier over there, but they were definitely looking the other way, and there was not a single one of them who was willing to stand up. I think in our in our senior officer corps, I think that's the case where it's the same thing. You can you can you can draw the parallel between what happened in Afghanistan and what's going on with with the, with the, with the, with, the, with the race theory of weakness. I think our generals are self-centered. Um, not every one of them. But I think there's also far too many who are sheep, and I think to, at the end of the day, the sheep are, 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 are just as bad. No one wants to be that guy who speaks up, um, and his career gets um, canceled. He, um, he or she wants another person to, and it, and, it, and it takes a stroke of courage. Had there been one general in Afghanistan at the four-star level who had put their stars on the table and said, I, I want a decision now. We're going to end this war now, or we're going to do it the right way, or I'm out of here. Not one of them had the courage and to do that. Yeah, and that's the issue that I pointed out and many others have too, especially with the Marxism stuff, is that there's a severe lack of moral courage at the senior officer level in the United States military, whether it's to, uh, to take on the war fighting policy uh, or uh, to say no to this indoctrination of our, our uh, services, premier military officers. I mean, these men and women at the academies that most of them will make flag rank if they stay in and do a good job as lieutenants and captains and majors. Uh, and uh, they are going to be the leaders uh, of this country, uh, both in and out of the service, just like you are. You know, I mean, you're a number one graduate out of your class. Uh, and uh, you just did something with this book uh, and made a decision to go public with it uh, that a lot of people don't have the courage to do, John. Uh, and that's that's very concerning uh, to all of us, especially those of us like you and I who've served in the armed forces for many decades of our lives. Let's go back over to the spaces and see if we've got, I think we've got a hand up. I think I saw AC's hand up over there, Kat, or, or whoever the next person is. Yeah, um, AC, go ahead. Um, yes, hello, Colonel Maness. Um, and uh, it's nice to hear from your guest today. Um, Here's my issue that I find with the wokeness is, A, it's not teaching camaraderie, uh, companionship, and actual loyalty within the ranks um, when you're, parent, when you're um, having people uh, look at one another as better or worse or victim mentality. It's not good. It doesn't build that camaraderie. But number two, I think what they are trying to do ends up backfiring because uh, they seem to be wanting to recruit those who would be anti-war by reaching out and talking to them in, the, in a woke type manner. But because they're not understanding psychology and what actually happens, they're not gonna gain those numbers and it's not gonna stop the Marxism by sucking up those that would have fallen for it. And then also it leads to a weaker military stance and military troops because if someone is weak-minded enough to fall for Marxism, then they're not a strong person that you want fighting on your side because they're easily manipulated um, through rhetoric and through emotion. <clears throat> have a military that's emotional. So that's that's what I wanted to say towards it. So maybe they thought it'd be a good idea in order to grab those that would be anti-war, but I think it's better to go to war under a wise um, council rather than um, for some of the purposes we've seen, but also not to trick your citizenry into something that leads them emotionally to join, but for uh, something that leads them to join in their heart in order to protect their country, their nation, and their peoples. Great points, AC. Uh, you know, AC's got a 
got a good point, a couple of points there. You know, one of them, uh, Dr. Hughes, is that uh, this indoctrination using especially things like critical race theory uh, is divisive. I mean, it pits groups against each other based on immutable uh, characteristics like skin color. Uh, and uh, we know that an effective combat team, whether it's a special ops team or a, uh, or a flight uh, of B-1 bombers or F-16s in the air, you have to have ultimate trust in each other. Uh, and that's what I grew up on uh, as, a, as a combatant in the U.S. Air Force. Uh, your comments on that? I agree wholeheartedly. Um, of course, in every country, in every context, and, and, and frame of time, you may have racist incidents here and there. But I'm, 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 through my experience overseas, I was actually blessed um, to be in a special forces group who's actually, um, the majority of our group was actually non-white because during times of um, non-war, their area of operations is um, uh, Central America and South America, um, which, which was a fantastic place to work in. Um, but even there, there you, you, you couldn't have um, asked for a place where you had more camaraderie and, and um, um, the folks thinking about folks' um, skin color was not one thing that they were gonna dis discuss over there. When I went to the West Point conference at the echo chamber at the end, I was the only naysayer in the room and I stood up there. And one of the points that I, that I'm, that I made to those guys is, when you, when you look at Afghanistan, there's a whole host of reasons you can say why we lost. And in the top 100, DEI is not one of them. Um, um, and, um, and not being woke enough was not one of the reasons at all. And of course it um, fell on deaf ears. And it isn't just the military who's actually doing it. Second half of my book, um, I talk about COVID and, and how I see the medical organizations in our country and the powerhouses using COVID to ram um, a critical race theory down our throat in the healthcare realm as well. And the consequences of it are gonna be just as dire. I'm an emergency medicine physician and in my professional organization, anybody who speaks out and even in our private chat rooms who runs contrary to the DEI or the critical race theory going on right now because they hold all the power um, within our medical organization, we get canceled, blocked, aren't allowed to speak. I've even met with the, um, with the presidents of the um, American College, College of Emergency Physicians. I've had discussions with the, um, the, pre, um, um, with the last two um, presidents of the American Medical Associations. All of them are in complete denial. The AMA is the worst one of all. They are so unabashed about what they were doing. They actually have a 58-page book. Um, if, you, if, you, if you remember Coca-Cola had, um, had that thing where they said how to be less white. Well, they, have yeah. that, they actually have a book in there where they actually don't even um, color code the words. At least the military changes the words um, and say, hey, we're not teaching critical race theory. Um, uh, um, they have a different term for it. it it's just a shell game of the words. But these guys in the AMA, they're just unabashed about it. They, their actual terms that they're using are they're using, using critical race theory. And the, and the youngsters are the ones who are the most um, frightening of all because they're coming out of medical school. And this reminds you of, um, of Nazi Germany and the brown shirts. A lot of medical schools within the United States now have changed their Hippocratic oath, and they are adding um, um, a, critical, a critical race theory oaths um, to the Hippocratic oath, which is a frightening thing when you, when, when you politicize medicine. That is very frightening, man. Well, we've got to take a commercial break. When we come back, we'll hear from a few of the folks at, at, that were at the debacle of Afghanistan in a short video clip as we continue this discussion with Dr. John Hughes about his new book, uh, and his journey of service, both in and out of the military, to this great country to try to bring and shine light on what's going wrong and what we can do about it. I'll be right back after this message. 
how in the world could such a small group of people with limited resources change world history? But in fact, that's happening. And it's the power of the truth. The truth is like kryptonite. Healthcare isn't in some sense working very well. Foster Colson is thinking about this. He's got a new company, an online healthcare platform called The Wellness Company. Telehealth company called The Wellness Company. The Wellness Company. TWC.health is The Wellness Company. The most popular product is the detoxification supplement that features natokinase. Natokinase is the only enzyme that we're aware of right now that dissolves the spike protein. Spike protein is loaded in the body with the COVID-19 infection and definitely with the vaccines. We've been completely accurate on the spread of the virus, early treatment, on the deficiencies in hospital care, and now the deaths that are occurring after vaccination. This is a human outrage and it's occurring at the end of a hypodermic needle. Isn't it interesting? Natural substances combating this man-made disaster. Afghanistan and the U.S. Thoughts of those two weeks have plagued my mind since coming home. I see the faces of all the people we could not save, all those that we left behind. I wonder if our Afghan allies fled to safety or they were killed by the Taliban. America is building a nasty reputation for multi-generational systemic abandonment of our allies that we leave as smoldering human wreckage from the mountain yards of Vietnam to the Kurds in Syria. Our veterans know something else that this committee might do well to consider. We might be done with Afghanistan, but it's not done with us. If we don't set politics aside and pursue accountability and lessons learned to address this grievous moral injury on our military community and right the wrongs that have been inflicted on our most at-risk Afghan allies, this colossal foreign policy failure will follow us home and ultimately draw us right back into the graveyard of empires where it all started. The withdrawal was a catastrophe in my opinion, and there was an inexcusable lack of accountability and negligence. If I leave this committee with only one thought, it's this. It's not too late. Um, we're going to talk a lot today about all of the mistakes that were made leading up to that, but urgent action right now will save so many. Welcome back to the Rob Manus Show here on the Red Voice Media Network uh, Live, where we bring you the facts and the truth, and we're talking with uh, a former Army Ranger and infantry officer, number one West Point graduate of the class of 1996, uh, emergency room doctor, uh, John Husen, now author of the book, American Doctor Coming Home to War. Uh, Doc, that's heartbreaking uh, watching and listening to those service members uh, and the NGO leaders talking about what happened in Afghanistan. But I think one of the most uh, compelling phrases was that we may be finished with Afghanistan, but it's not finished with us. And uh, I think based on what's happening in the world around us today from a geopolitical and uh, military perspective, uh, those words will ring loudly and clearly for a very long time, won't they? Oh, I agree, Rob. They had some um, fantastic points. Actually, I, I, I... I'm gonna watch the testimony of the young 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 Marine who was there. I believe he was the amputee who was at the gate um, when the bomb went went off, and there were some very concerning things about um, what what happened be uh, before and afterwards. Of course, 
Yeah. Yeah, there were. Uh, we were talking before the break about uh, uh, the uh, the leadership, uh, you know, and uh, not just in the military, but in other organizations uh, like the American College of Emergency Physicians that you've talked to about the woke issues. And, and uh, folks, you might have noticed that nobody said anything about wokeness or anything in that testimony that you just heard there uh, from those folks either, as uh, Dr. Hughes has pointed out. Uh, that's not the reason we lost, and it won't be the reason we're losing uh, in other wars either. It'll be because we haven't addressed these issues, as Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann so adroitly put it in his testimony there. But my question was based on our discussion earlier about the generals and the admirals, uh, and that you don't really think that they're Marxists and those kind of things. What sense do you get from talking to the civilians, heads of these organizations like the ACEP, the AMA, uh, medical colleges, and those kind of things? I, I mean, are, are these folks in the same category, these senior decision makers that are, that are pushing this stuff? I think a lot of it in, in the medical um, um, side, at least, is where politics creeps into medicine. And as been, been, we know, the the whole concept of the, um, the DEI and the, and the critical critical growth race theory um, came from the left, not and not from the right. And if, yeah. and I think and I, and I can't speak for all um, intellectual disciplines, um, mm -hmm. but um, generally, when you trace the history of Marxism um, through the critical race theory, it came through the educational realm of the universities, and it's also infiltrated down to the medical schools as well. And now you have a generation of folks who have grown up who believe this stuff. And oh, by the way, um, a lot of medicine has shifted over to the liberal um, uh, side. Not a bad thing. I think it's good to have um, the two points of view. But again, when they, they take their uh, liberal points of view of DEI and then uh, um, critical race theory and intermesh that with uh, medicine, bad things are going to happen. And this is the point, too, where Medicine, like politics, um, you need to have as many points of view as you can, and you don't want to have a closed mind on anything. Um, um, uh, science, in my opinion, ended as soon as COVID hit. Um, uh, um, effectively, once that hit, there were there were a bunch of edicts that you saw in the in the in the public sphere, but they also came down in the professional sphere as well. And I trace a timeline through this book, and my intent through this book um, was to do something very close to what a few other patriots have done. Matthew Lohmeyer documented how Marxism was was um, coming down in the Air Force, and he paid a price for it. Um, but it's in print, and it can't be erased. Um, a commander, Robert Green, over in the Navy, um, uh, documented from an inside guy who was trying to fight the vaccine mandate in DOD and all the heartbreaking tales. So it's been documented, and it's there. And from the yeah. professional um, side of medicine, I took great pains to make make sure make sure I made it as um, factually based as I could. And it was actually not too hard to do with a string of emails and conversations about it. But you can see that once COVID hit and the public saw about the vaccine mandates from the medical side, we had a gag order against this. And once that comes down, science effectively ends because for the scientific method to work and for, and for the doctors to, to trust the medicine and the science that they're supposed to use, you have to be able to question medicine. Um, I went to medical school um, about 25 years ago, and a great many things that I was taught back then are no longer true or at least believed now. Why is that? Because folks um, stood up and they said, hey, it may have seemed well-intentioned at the day, um, but mm -hmm. this stuff doesn't work. 
And so they were allowed to have those discussions. They were allowed to publish papers saying that, hey, this is not the best treatments for um, strokes anymore. It's not the treatment for the heart attacks anymore. Once COVID came down, all that ended. The pragmatic use of off-the-shelf medications after March of 2020 was um, forbidden in our group. All the discussion was buzzed, um, um, blocked in our, um, in our professional um, journals and the, and, the, and the publications. And instead, what you saw was um, an over um, an overabundance of um, research and literature, if you want to call it that, um, um, about um, critical race theory. I joked and I made my I'm a president of my organization very angry when I said the easiest way to publish right now in medicine is is just to stick underrepresented or 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 critical race theory or whatever research project that you're going to do and bam it's easy to publish that that stuff and there's there's hardly any substance at all about what they're trying to say but the same echo chamber there is there is there is at West Point at the great DEI conference that I was talking about which the same echo chamber I'm in the military it's on the same um, continuum here, and, uh, and I believe the beast who's controlling both is the same. Uh, well, that's that's quite remarkable, and I would laugh at that uh, if uh, it wasn't so dangerous, Dr. Hughes. I mean, it sounds almost like something you would chuckle at, uh, but it's so dangerous that that our major institutions that rely on the scientific method, even the military relies on the scientific method are being destroyed from the from within and prevented from continuing the use of that which is what wins in military wars in medicine and those kind of things well we've got a hand up over in the spaces audience let's take one more question out of there uh, before we uh, move further into this covid thing because i want to explore uh, some more of what you were talking about there go ahead cat i think we've got a hand up yeah we do go ahead son uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, Colonel, Doc, appreciate your service. Um, Thank you. I think both of you had said it and touched base on it. Uh, this indoctrination that's been going on that we've now realized it's we're looking at decades. It's just been more out in the open the last few years. But I can take back almost 30 years ago when I was in. Um, it was a good movie that came out. Um, few good men. And then we learned at that point, and it was straightforward, um, what our job was as being in the military, anything else, a lot of us had joined because we wanted to protect those who couldn't protect themselves. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you have to understand what an unlawful order is. And we've all been talking about where 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 has it gone? Uh, because that used to be uh, a get out of free jail card. Well, I was just doing what I was told. I was doing what I was ordered. Mm -hmm. But some of these things over the years have been more blatant, but you're not hearing about it anymore. And now that you're seeing it in these these colleges and uh, officer candidate school boot camp things of those sorts, it's now if these kids. Um, I, I would almost say uh, kids outside the city that don't have to mess with the CRT system, depending on where they're from, mm -hmm. um, they're going to push it uh, in these military trainings. And I think it's done on purpose. It's that blind loyalty um, that we have not given our kids, you know, critical discernment to understand. And 
that's got us a lot in trouble. Um, I think it's it's a lot bigger. The older gentleman we were talking to earlier this morning on the punch bowl, it's gotten so complicated. We can't be the world's police anymore. Uh, it's just not going to work for us. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. Yeah, thank you, son. Uh, absolutely, uh, I completely agree, uh, Dr. Hughes. I agree with his term of the blind loyalty. I'll even take it one step um, further to a toxic loyalty. Actually, I got into a, an interesting email exchange with um, retired Major General Bob Scales. He's a classmate of my dad's from West Point, and he was very upset um, yeah. that I've been doing a lot of publications calling out the lack of, of um of a lack of integrity, but also the lack of courage in the general officer corps. And he was um, um, furious at me that I was calling out the general officer's ethos. Well, I'm gonna call it the way it is. Just like in medicine, if I go into a patient's room and I see doctors doing the wrong thing, and if I speak up, if it's gonna cost me my job at that hospital, I'm gonna speak up because it's the right thing to do for, um, for the patient. I'm not just gonna put, put my hands in my white coat and walk out the door and say, I was never here. But that's what's happened to too many officers in the general officer corps. Yeah, I agree with that, uh, and uh, and I think it's happening to doctors that have never been in the military. And we'll talk some more about that uh, when we come back from this break, Doctor Hughes. Uh, and we'll hear a little bit about the censorship effort in COVID in the COVID pandemic as we come back from the break. I'm Rob Manus. We'll be back after these messages. Attention Americans, breaking news. Biden's dangerous plan for a digital dollar is underway. Don't be fooled, it won't benefit you. Take action now. The Federal Reserve phased deployment of FedNow began on July 1st, 2023. Be prepared, this may catch many off guard. Your hard earned assets are in jeopardy, but there's a simple legal tax loophole to opt out of the digital dollar. Reach out to American Alternative Assets for a free wealth protection guide and discover how to safeguard your wealth with gold and silver IRAs against a failing dollar and volatile markets. Visit protectfrombiden.com. This invaluable guide provides precise steps to transfer your IRA or 401k into precious metals without any tax consequences. Be smart. Don't let Biden force you into using the government's new digital dollar. Visit protectfrombiden.com to get your free guide and get started. Again, that's protectfrombiden.com. Your freedom of speech is under attack like never before. Never did we think in the democratic Western world, the US, Canada, the UK and Australia, that we would be living under authoritarian rule. It may not be overt in the form of government control like North Korea or Russia, but make no mistake, you and I are subjects of an elite web of organizations made up of governments, social media giants, fact-checkers and universities who are moderating and in some cases censoring every word we say to push their own agenda. But how do they get away with it? Well, carefully selected fact-checkers label any opinion that goes against the official narrative as misinformation, 
which gives them a free pass to block the content from being seen and shared. Sky News Australia digital editor Jack Houghton investigates, speaking exclusively to Twitter Files co-founder Michael Schellenberger to expose the tactics this web of elites use to censor what you say. Welcome back to the Rob Manus Show. We are talking with uh, author and uh, Army serviceman, emergency room doctor, uh, West Point graduate, number one in his class from 96, uh, uh, Dr. John Hughes, about his book, his new book, American Doctor Coming Home to War. And listen to the title, Coming Home to War. Uh, and Doc, we just, just saw a little bit of uh, a glimpse into what folks outside the United States think, and she used the word subjects. And that's a big difference between the rest of the world and the citizens of the United States of America. I'm a citizen of the United States of America. I am nobody's subject. As a matter of fact, this government, whether they want to admit it or not, they still work for me, and I'm never gonna change on that mindset. But that issue of censorship in the COVID pandemic really hit the medical community hard. I have been I have been quoted as saying the medical community has destroyed its credibility through this pandemic, and laymen and women don't want to listen to what they have to say anymore, and that's going to hurt a lot of people, including cause people to die unnecessarily because they don't get treatment. Well, I agree, Rob. Um, but patients need to be able to trust their doctors and doctors need to be able to trust um, the science itself. And one of the concerns that I have is what actually happened after the pandemic as well. And when I originally began to write my book, it was gonna be about the military and analysis of the general officer leadership overseas. But once COVID began to wind down and Biden um, famously um, 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 declared the pandemic over, a lot of America began to unwind and relax. I was actually able to go on a cruise um, without have, having to have a vaccine book. Um, this past summer here, uh, Americans have been, been able to get around, go see movies, go to the go to sports events. Things have gotten more relaxed. However, in the medical um, the community, they've been tightening the screws even more, which gives, gives me great concern that this is just a prelude um, to the next pandemic. I think the medical um, the community as a conspiracy, um, a theorist has learned its mistakes from the first ones where folks had too much um, of freedom of speech. And it seems like that we, that, we, that, we, that we didn't have any, but there were. You've seen some, some of the groups actually speak up. Um, they paid the price for it. But I think right now with the indoctrination going on at the medical school on the lower end of it, and on the upper end of it, um, the threats um, to, to, the, to the medical licensure of the various specialties have not gone away. In 2021, I famously got an email from the head um, organization who gives me my, my licensing. Um, without a license, I can't practice emergency medicine in any state. And they threatened everybody and said, if you speak about the vaccine mandate or the mask mandate, we will re um, refer you to a board for lack of, of professionalism and they reserve the right to take your license away. That statement has not gone away and it is now two years later. So do you have the standing to file a lawsuit against organizations like that when they use that type of uh, tyranny uh, to, and threat to remove your livelihood for no valid reason? At the state level, lawsuits are being um, filed as recently as, as I believe August, 
um, they were actually taking away licenses of doctors who were um, uh, uh, prescribing ivermectin, I believe in Maine, and I believe it was in, was, was in Washington state. Um, mm -hmm. But there's various um, um, levels where you have, you have to have a state license, but then, then, but then, but then you have the board um, uh, certification um, from the various facilities. I'm in, I'm an ER doctor. If you're a cardiologist, orthopedic doctor, you have to go sit um, um, for, sit for your boards. These are unfortunately private entities, and I believe a lot of them too. They have a lot of democratic leanings, which again is fine. I think it's great to have multiple points of view, but this is the danger when you when 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 you interject um, 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 politics into into medicine. Yeah, or science at all. I mean, I think the precursor of this, the harbinger, was the climate change uh, shenanigans. Uh, with all all of that, just destroyed the uh, the scientific method when uh, when researching and analyze uh, how you know the long term effects of uh, of human activity on the planet. You know, and uh, uh, people don't really know what the heck to believe anymore. Uh, but it's even more dangerous in the medical field, uh, John. I mean, like I said, I think I think people are probably going to die because they won't seek treatment or don't believe what doctors are telling them these days. Uh, the, in your book, do you talk about uh, a pathway that can be taken by the medical community and the profession to uh, to extricate itself from this mess? One of the pathways I have is I think that. The um, the issue is not is not going to be fixed um, uh, from within. The way mm -hmm. the hierarchy works, they have they are so entrenched. I don't believe that the solution is going to be found within. Just like in the military, for example, if you complain about West Point, West Point is a downstream issue. It's a downstream issue from the Department of Defense, which is a downstream issue from from Washington D.C. If you want to change things, you have to call the um, the, 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 the generals onto the carpet in front of politicians, or you have to vote. One of the things I highlight in the second half of the book and the COVID parts is, is, a, is a pattern for how this thing actually takes place so that folks can actually recognize what's going on. And, and, and you have a triad of create where a new narrative gets um, um, created. For example, in, D, in DEI in the military, they are creating this false military history that um, throughout history, only heterogeneous militaries have won. And, and, and you should be laughing your ass off at that because, of course, that's 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 not the case. Some um, throughout history, so you have yeah. create, and then you have indoctrinate, and indoctrinate is where they're of course um I'm a, I'm a going to the educational realm, but they're also going to the public as well. Hence all this all this all the censorship and social media, and then you have enforce, and enforce is where you you, you pick folks off of X. Enforce is where you take away doctors' um, licenses when they don't get the message. And so you see these three things when you see uh, when you see things that don't look right. Look at these these three things in the paradigm to see where it's at. Fantastic, that's great. Uh, we've got one more question over in spaces. We're running out of time, folks. So make it quick, Shell. Uh, Twenty seconds. What do you have? Yes, sir. My sister graduated West Point in 1986. She is also a level one trauma unit doctor, and um, she is a liberal. And I was wondering, just how long do you think this indoctrination has been going on, this wokeism in, uh, in these uh, military colleges? Great question. Well, I graduated in, in 02, um, I'm from medical school, and it's kind of hard to say, and I can't, I can't put my, my finger on it at the medical school level exactly there, but I can say within the literature, 
in about 2016, I began to see a change. And it also coincided as well um, with the massive um, uh, shift in the politics of our country. That was when Trump was elected and things began to, to change. That was the year in one of our medical journals that they were supposed to be speaking about medicine. One of the feature articles was about mocking the inauguration for Trump. Why are doctors talking about that? That's a great question, but that's where politics intrudes and it's where trust in medicine uh, begins to uh, to get eroded. I can't, I can't again necessarily stick a finger on it, but I and I think that the that, that the liberals, if you want to call it that, hip, um, have always been there, and I think it's a good thing. I don't want a one-part party state or from the right or from the left. I think that I, I think when you meet in the middle with ideas, it's great. But the danger is when one side realizes they're in power and they begin to put their political views onto a, a profession, when, when whether it's the military or the medical house. Yeah, great answer, Doc. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, uh, folks. Dr. John Hughes, uh, we've had his uh, Twitter account handle up uh, the whole show. The book is American Doctor Coming Home to War. Thank you for your service, sir. Thanks for joining us. You are the third author. I've had Commander Green and uh, Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer on, and I appreciate your book. We'll get it out there. Coming up next is Sean Parnell in Battleground. I'll see you tomorrow on Open Mic Truth Thursday on Spaces, where we'll be live. So come on in tomorrow, 4 o'clock Eastern, and have a challenging and energetic discussion. Until tomorrow, I'm Rob Manus, and Tucker's still laughing. (laughs) Thank you very much, Rob.